Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Were Born for this podcast with Father John Ricardo, Mary Guilfoyle. We are a couple of missionaries at Acts 29. This is the podcast where we talk about the Word of God and how it can bring transformation, revival, and renewal to our lives. Mary, how you doing? I'm great, Father John. How about you? I am very well. How's your Advent coming along? Spectacular, actually. I love Advent. I, I love these days. Yeah, I, I do too. You know, even this morning as I was uh, making my quiet time with the Lord, I just continued it the way I'm opening up my prayers. Lord, just slow me down. Slow down my speech, slow down my mind, because I know you have something for me. You have a gift to give me even in this season, and I don't want to miss it because I'm running around crazy, right, trying to get ready for Christmas. And so um, he's answering that prayer. Thanks be to God. Yeah, I was just sharing with a couple of priests the other night at dinner. Like, I think my my longing right now is I just, so similar to that. I just, I just want greater intimacy with mm-hmm. God in prayer. You know, like my prayer can so my per, my time is consistent, but man, it's like I'm not given a lot of space to listen. I fill it up a lot, you know. Yeah. So I'm just trying to ask him to help me just to um, be ever more attentive and. Today's scriptures are going to be a great opportunity for that because this is a rich word. So what's our topic? So our topic for today is, within your wounds, hide me. Oh, I love that. Let's pray. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, as always, uh, we come before you as beggars. We ask that you would, in your kindness and your generosity, uh, send out your Holy Spirit upon us now just to bless this conversation as we break open your word spoken through Isaiah, which your son used in such a significant way at the beginning of his ministry. Help us to understand those things that you want to communicate to us so that we can be ever more restored and set free and then be agents of healing ourselves, most especially uh, in our families. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. You got a little news about some swag, though, don't you? <laughs> so if you're thinking of Christmas presents, what do you, what do we got yeah, in the store? So, so if you're gearing up to run the rescue project uh, coming up after Christmas, we've got some gear to help you gear up. So our merch store just opened, I think, last week. We've got some really cool stuff this time around. We've got T-shirts. We've got quarter zips. We have coffee mugs. So if you're looking for stocking stuffers or you're looking just to kind of get ready for your rescue, we just invite you to go to rescueproject.us, click on the lower link in the lower, uh, click on the link in the lower right-hand corner and just have some fun doing some shopping. There's a part of me that just recoils at hearing this. It's like shameless self-promotion, but I got to be honest, we, we do this because we've had so many people ask us because they see the things that we wear. We had some, you know, like quarter zips made for us. They're like, can we buy that? Can we get one of those? We were down at a college and uh, giving a talk not too long ago. And we had a bunch of university students ask, like, I want one of those. Can I get one of those? So that's why we do this. It, it, it might be shameless self-promotion, no, but, but you, it's really at their request. It's at the request of people like you who are presumably listening. So but sorry about that. think about this too, Father John. How many people, when we're out doing ministry, whether it's in an elevator or a stairwell we're even in a bathroom, and they see the rescue project, and they ask us, what is that? Yeah, or what's Acts 29? Or if you're in a plane, like, what is Acts 29? So it's a great conversation starter, so. That's why we do it. There you go. All right. 
enough of that. Let's go to the Word of God. Yep. What's yep. Isaiah say? What's, what's the Lord say to us in yeah. Isaiah this week? Yeah, so this is Isaiah chapter 6 verses, I'm sorry, Isaiah 61 verses 1 and 2, and then 10 through 11. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to announce a year of favor from the Lord and a day of vindication by our God. I rejoice heartily in the Lord. In my God is the joy of my soul. For he has clothed me with a robe of salvation and wrapped me in a mantle of justice, like a bridegroom adorned with a diadem, like a bride bedecked with her jewels. As the earth brings forth its plants, and a garden makes its growth spring up, so will the Lord God make justice and praise spring up before all the nations. Okay, great. So uh, just a quick reminder, we uh, decided last week that we really want to follow up on the uh, inspiration that we received from our good uh, friend and brother, Father Lee Brokaw, who's down in Peoria, Illinois, who's using this time of Advent to uh, preach using the readings for Advent on the theme of healing. And we, we offered last week that we just think that's an awesome idea because, uh, as, as you said last week and as you often say when we're out uh, sharing the gospel with others, after the encounter, the, the heavy door to walk through is the door of healing. And, of course, we're all broken in one way or another. So we want to try to take a look at this scripture. I want to talk about especially how Jesus uses it and then we want to apply this to the topic of healing in general, but most especially healing in marriage. Does that right. sound okay? Yep. So let me try to give a little background. So what, what hit me as I was praying with this is it's, it's massively important that Jesus uses this text as his quote-unquote inaugural address in Luke chapter 4, right? So in other words, this is uh, out of all the texts in the Old Testament— this one has like a prime of place in the Lord's mind because this is what he chooses to read and then to, to preach on uh, right after his baptism when he begins his public ministry. So he does this in Nazareth. So people might have in their minds the scene from The Chosen if they've seen that, or they might just have the text from Luke 4. But it's worth going to Luke 4 and praying with um, that passage. It starts in... Uh, Luke 4, 16. Yeah, verse 16. And actually go all the way down to 30. So this is a strange encounter. So Jesus Jesus is a rabbi. He comes home. His home is Nazareth. Nazareth is a, is a new town, you could say. Uh, it's not even mentioned in the Old Testament. Um, that's why people say things like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Like it's got no no significance for the people of God, right? Um, so it started somewhere maybe around the second century BC. Unlike that area in Galilee where, you know, we were just there a year ago or so, um, Galilee is oftentimes referred to as Galilee of the Gentiles. Nazareth is not a mix of Jew and Gentile. It's a strictly Jewish town. In fact, it was just Jewish until say the fourth century or so. So this is a, you might want to say, this is a really nationalistic town. So think of all that's going on with the Middle East right now mm. and the attitudes that, 
that both sides have towards one another and the temptation to one, see the enemy as the other or see the other as the enemy and a desire to eradicate them. That's the Nazarene's mentality. Remember, Jesus is living in a time when um, what we would call the Holy Land is occupied by Rome, the most powerful empire in the world, and they're being taxed by their occupiers, among other things, crucifixions and whatever they want to do to them. So it's kind of like you and Steve have somebody break into your house and say, hey, I'm going to live in your house, and you're going to pay me for it. You'd probably be a little angry over that, right? I'd want them to get theirs, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? So so the people in Nazareth want the Romans to get theirs. So this passage, uh, Isaiah 61, is an immensely significant passage because of what it promises. So this is not only, last week we heard, you know, comfort, comfort for my people. These are spectacular passages from Isaiah. And now he's talking about uh, the Lord through Isaiah, that a day of vindication is going to come, and then there's a boatload of verses that are missing. And you always talk about how significant it is when there's missing verses. So tell us what's in verses, what is it? Um, three through three nine. Three through nine. So just verses six and seven, at least how they were translated in um into Aramaic, okay? So this would be an English translation of the Aramaic. So so keep in mind, the people who are longing to hear this, they're not going to hear it when Jesus reads this text. Starting in verse 6, You shall eat the possessions of the Gentiles, and in their glory you shall be indulged. Instead of your being ashamed and confounded, two for one the benefits I promise you I will bring to you. And the Gentiles will be ashamed who were boasting in their lot. Things like that are in these passages. It's a foretelling of what it is that's going to happen between this overthrowing of the um, oppression that the Jewish people are experiencing. Why do I say all that? When Jesus uses this passage in Luke 4, he doesn't read all that we heard in the first reading, or that we're going to hear in the first reading. He doesn't read all that's in Isaiah 61. Most especially, he doesn't read the parts that the people who are very nationalistic, who are longing for vengeance to be inflicted on their enemies, long to hear. He actually cuts it short. He edits it. So, Jesus, when he reads this passage, ends it with, to proclaim a year of the Lord's favor, and he leaves out a day of vengeance by our God. This is why, if you continue to read Luke 4, the people are so angry at him and they go on to want to throw him off the hill. Like, they can't believe that he has the gall in this town, which he grew up in, he knows their mentalities, to leave out the part that they're waiting for. And the Lord, when he's preaching this, says, so listen up, people. Today, what Isaiah prophesied has come true. The Spirit of the Lord has anointed me, which means has messiahed me. I am the Messiah. Now, that's either true or it's not. If it's not true, they're going to kill him. If it's true, 
what Jesus goes on to do is he absolutely overturns their understanding of what the Messiah is going to do. Because one of the things that Jesus is going to teach them and us is the true nature of the enemy. Yes, the Lord's going to bring vengeance, but not against the ones that we think are the enemies, because they're not the enemy. The enemy is the enemy, which is to say Satan and his minions. And Jesus is going to go on to talk about that as he goes on to his ministry. But this is the very beginning of his ministry. And you can't say everything all at once at the very beginning or nobody would ever listen to you again, right? It's significant he didn't start preaching about, you know, the Eucharist right out of the gate. The people would have looked at him like, you're out of your mind, right? So the Lord's got a pedagogy. So it's almost like there's a, a, a guy that I read a lot. His name's Kenneth Bailey. He has a great um, commentary in this passage. And he says, what Jesus does in this passage for people who are looking for the quote-unquote good parts to finally get read, we love this part. We love when we hear about what God's going to do to those people who have made our lives a living whatever. Jesus overturns it. And he says, you're going to, what I want to do is I want to help you understand this is not really about what you're going to receive, although you are going to receive plenty. The Lord's going to bring freedom and release. It's really about what you are expected to give if you're going to follow me. Because he's going to go on in Luke's gospel to send out the disciples to go be instruments to do these very things that he talks about. Bring glad tidings to the poor. Proclaim liberty to captives. Heal the brokenhearted released to prisoners, to announce a year of favor from our God. That's the background of all this. What in the heck's that got to do with healing, and most especially what's that got to do with healing in marriage? I don't know about you. I'm going to shut up here in a second because I want to get your thoughts on this. I don't think it's a stretch for us. Or Yeah, maybe it's God's gift that we want to try to speak about healing in marriage, and Father Lee wants to speak about healing in marriage. And at the ending of this passage from Isaiah, what do we get? We get the image of a bridegroom and a bride. I think the Lord's maybe comforting us in that way to go, okay, you guys aren't totally out, out there. So let's, let's apply this to, to marriage. I'll speak about it from marriage prep. I, I always ask a couple when they sit down, like, why do you want to marry him or why do you want to marry her? And don't tell me you love her because I don't know what that means. And oftentimes I hear people say, in, in one fashion or another, it's because of what they do for me. Like, he makes me laugh or, you know, she makes me feel good about myself. Or it, it's, it's often very selfish as opposed to like the right answer should be something like, because out of all the people I've ever met, I, I don't want to give myself for anyone like her or like him. That's why we should do this. It should be this, like, you have come into my life and I want to outdo you in showing generosity and in loving you. And when two people do that, it's it's pretty remarkable. And that's, you know, kind of what marriage is, is about on one hand. So in a certain sense, it's like, overturning the understanding of marriage from here's what you're going to receive to no, 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 here's what you're expected to give. Here's why I've brought you into his life or her life because I got a mission for you. Cindy, does this make sense as you're sitting there? I wish you could see my face, friends, because <laughs> there's so there's so much here. So I, I'm thinking about, um, gosh, just a whole set of things, and I, I, I'm hoping I can articulate myself in a way that's clear. Someone, I was talking, having a conversation recently with someone, 
and um, we were just having a conversation around vocation. Mm. And as we stand before the Lord, we're going to stand before him being judged on our vocation. Mm-hmm. So me as wife, um, my brothers as husband, if they're, if they're married, and that's, that's, my, that's my first vocation. Everything that we do is wonderful and fruitful for the kingdom of God in one way or another, but I am first wife and mother, and a husband is husband and father first, which tells you that's your, that's your mission territory. Yeah. That's where we first are supposed to serve. And you and I often talk about the beauty of the prayer that many of us pray after receiving Eucharist, and it's the Anima Christi. And there's a line in there that you're keen to break open for us, and it's, within your wounds, hide me, which means place me, Jesus, in the wounds of others that I'm going to encounter, like in my daily life, and help me by your grace to be an instrument of healing for them. And you and the Rescue Project do a beautiful job of speaking about how your father did that for your mother in their marriage. That's what we're supposed to do, right? Especially yeah. with our spouses. And um, I, I'm just thinking about these, these ways that the Lord has taught us to pray in Acts 29 as we're, as we're leaning in on the Lord, restoring the initiative to God around all those areas where he wants to bring healing, transformation, and revival. And one of the ways that he has taught us to pray is to go before the Lord as a patient, seeing him as the divine physician and showing me an MRI of my life, those areas of my life that are um, most in need of God's healing power. But I would suggest maybe through the context of this conversation, it's as a wife, I go to prayer to the Lord, the divine physician, asking for an MRI, perhaps of Steve, my husband, and just ask the Lord, Lord, show me those areas in Steve's life that are most in need of healing and allow the Lord to speak into that. And then as we move into that next way of praying, Lord, show me how it is you want me to be a minister of healing to him because the call to marriage is to be a revelation of God to our spouse. And I'm just wondering if maybe that's not how you apply this because if you go back to the word of God, when, we, when, when you enter into marriage, all of us bring with it our own sense of poverty. So Steve has his own poverty, I have mine. And there's something beautiful about our role as husbands and wives to know where they are most poor, where they are, where they are poor, spiritually poor, broken in all manner of ways. And the one that we most want to bring healing to is our spouse. Wherever they are brokenhearted, wherever the enemy has them held bound, captive, and for God to use us as husbands and wives to release them and to speak into that and to be those agents of healing to them. And there's all kinds of ways we can do that, but that's just kind of what's going through my mind. Is so let me, let me build on a couple of things you said, because that's, um, that's spectacularly rich. So um, let's just back up real quick. So what's marriage? Marriage is a sacrament. 
What's a sacrament? A sacrament is a visible sign of an invisible reality instituted by Jesus, which gives grace. Or in the case of marriage, it's not instituted by Jesus, it's elevated by Jesus. So like, I'm always trying to help couples think about this. So that, that sounds so academic and so like, so what? Until you actually begin to understand what it means. So, okay, so what's the visible sign in marriage? And the answer is you I are. Am. Not, not even you and Steve, you are Mary right. to Steve and Steve to Mary. And then after that, you and Steve together to others, children if you have them and whatnot. What's the invisible reality? God. Holy cow. The lofty you vocation. You're kidding me. So, so what does this mean? It means that the mission of marriage the way I would kind of push the envelope, the purpose of marriage is for um, a wife to be for her husband and a husband to be for his wife, a visible, tangible, concrete sign of who God is. By the words I say, by the words I don't say, by the things I do, by the things I don't do, so that somehow broken as you know we all are, right? I mean, like, I'm a priest. I'm supposed to be a visible sign of Jesus, the good shepherd. Not a chance. I mean, are you kidding me? I'm like the most selfish person that I know. But God's given me grace so as to be able to do that. Now, sometimes I cooperate with that and sometimes I don't. Likewise, in marriage, God gives a couple grace to be able to do this. One of the ways to think about grace is power. God gave you and Steve power on the day of your marriage to do this, to somehow enable the other person to have greater insight, awareness, understanding of who he is through you broken as you are. That's unbelievable. That's the mission of marriage, right? And so with that in mind, let's go back to what you were talking about, these conversations that the Lord's been trying to teach us how to pray with and that we keep sharing with people. In fact, we're going to publish a little book soon on this. The concrete application of this might be if you're able as a couple in these days of this week, spend time together in prayer in a wherever and ask the Lord, Lord, what's the biggest wound in our marriage? And listen don't brainstorm. Don't go, oh, I know what it is. It's you, you know, or whatever. You know, and just ask the Lord, Lord, what's the biggest wound? Show us. Help us to see things that, that we might be aware of and that we may not be aware of. And then talk about that afterwards. Come out of prayer and just say, what did the Lord say to you? Not what I think, but what did the Lord say to you? And, and, and make note of that. And then maybe, you know, ask the Lord, go back into prayer a second time and ask him the question, well, what are, you, what are you asking us to do to be a means by which we can address that? I, I love the line in Isaiah 61, to heal the brokenhearted. And we're all broken. Some of us are just really good at hiding it. But every single person is broken and longing to know that I'm loved for who I am, not for what I've done, but who I am, no matter what I've done, Right. Now, some people I know who are listening can't do that. For whatever reason, they won't, you know, like their, their wife or their husband's like, you're out of your mind. I'm not going to go in the chapel and pray with you. I'm not going to pray with you about this. If that's the case, then ask the Lord, Lord, in your kindness, help me to see like an MRI of my wife. 
or an MRI of my husband. So, you know, you talked about how much I love the Anima Christi prayer and especially that line. I use it for my dad. So my mom was, my mom was an, an amazingly um, successful woman on so many levels. I call the, the word I would use to describe my mom is class or elegant without it all being pretentious. My mom came from a, a really wealthy family in Gross Point, Michigan, if people know that area. She was the only daughter of my um, grandparents, but she was really badly hurt because of something that my grandfather did when he walked out on my grandmother. And behind all the facades of my mom was someone who felt utterly rejected and unloved and disposable and unseen. And she was filled with anger towards my grandfather because of what he had done to her mom. And my dad knew that. My dad knew that in her. He knew her pain, her brokenheartedness. And he also knew enough somehow about marriage to know that God had brought him into her life to be a means by which that could get addressed and healed. Thus that line, which means so much to me, within your wounds, hide me, which does not mean protect me from getting hurt. It means place me anywhere in the body that's hurting. And as you mentioned, that starts with our spouses. And so my dad made it his life's like primary goal to let my mom know that after God, she was first and that she wasn't rejected and wasn't discarded and wasn't unloved and was seen. And so much so that when my dad died, my mom said to my dad as she was in her wheelchair, as he was lying in his casket, the most extraordinary thing I've ever heard a human being say to another human being, which is, Honey, because of you, I know who God is. That's amazing. So I'm listening. So I, I know this testimony so well, and it's so beautiful. And you do aptly describe your mom. It's just She was just a, a beautiful, beautiful, remarkable woman. Just thinking about standing before Jesus at the end of my life and hearing Jesus say to me, Mary, because of you, Steve knows God. Like, are those not the words you want the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ to say to you as a wife? You know, as well done, good and faithful servant, but just against the backdrop, I'm sorry, I'm crying. Just that's the word that you want to hear Jesus say to you. Because of you, Steve, Mary knows now who God is. Like, like that should that should be our prayer every single day that we would hear that as husbands and as wives. That that makes it like eminently practical. Like put that on a mirror, put it in your journal, and pray that I would hear those words about my husband or about my wife on that day when I stand before the King of Kings Amen. and the Lord of Lords. Amen. And, and that's that goes right back to the point. That's that's why I think we. it seems so significant to talk about how Jesus turns this passage upside down because what he's doing is he's starting to talk about in, in Luke 4 when it's coupled with all the rest that Jesus is going to commission his disciples to do to get them to stop thinking about what you're going to get and to start thinking about what you're expected to give. Mm-hmm. And one of the things you're expected to give in marriage and that you're at, here's the good news you're equipped to do that's right 
by his grace, you know, if it was, and otherwise it'd be like, hey, try harder, roll up your sleeves. And that's not the message of the gospel. There's grace to do this. There's power to do this. There's the divine life flowing through married couples to do this, just like there's divine life flowing through me. I have to cooperate with it, and I often don't. But we have, but we have the grace. We have the power to do this. So let's boil it all down to one practical thing. Linger on that line this week to heal the broken hearted. And if you're married, spend time before the Lord, whether you can do it together or where you got to do it alone, either way, and just say, Lord, show me the breaks in his heart or her heart or our heart. And then use me to be a means by which that can get healed. God wants to do this. Some of us think sometimes, man, every time I pray, God never talks. Boy, I'll tell you, you ask the Lord, show you an MRI of the wounds in your spouse or in your marriage, he will talk because he wants this more than we do. That's the great news and all this. And because all of this is true, do not be afraid. God is with you and you were born for this. (laughs) 